All right, welcome back to Tundra Talk, everybody. I'm Tyler Friel, and uh, very excited and privileged this morning to get to get to sit down and uh, and host Mr. Lou Bradley, who's uh, in town signing books. If you haven't, if you've been living under rock and haven't heard of the, uh, almost calling them books is like a disservice. The, um, yeah, <laughs> the rampages <laughs> volumes. Yeah, it turned out way bigger than I intended. You know, I just but by doing it over a long period of time, I was able to. Uh, uh, meet a lot of people, and then when I was, uh, Sarah Palin um, put me on the board of game there, you know, then I started meeting a lot of other people. Got into politics and management and whatever, and uh, it just kind of grew. It originally, started out just going to be my stories, yeah. And then whenever I started meeting all these people and getting a lot of different information, and one person leads to another, and it, I mean, it's just never. My wife said it'll never end, you know? yeah. <laughs> and she said I'm lucky to still be married because it took 11 years. Oh I, man! And I just did it over the uh, winter months, like seven months. Yep. And I had to take summers off and uh, in the fall, of course. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it just, you know, people ask me, would you do it again? I, I said, if it burned down and I lost it all, I wouldn't start it again. But, yeah. uh, you know, it was worth it because I met a lot of really interesting people and made a lot of friends. Oh, yeah. Way. Yeah, it's uh, three volumes, basically. I don't know. I'd describe it like the probably the most, um, how do you say, most in-depth breakdown of like of doll sheep hunting stories and data and yeah. just well, information that's ever been put out for alaska well yeah uh, you know i i didn't intend that it just kind of grew into that yeah and, and once you get started and of course you, you know you're passionate about sheep and i am as well and, and a lot of that stuff in there maybe you don't need to know to be a really good sheep hunter you know mm-hmm. and but to me you know if you're like something you need to know more about it how how they what the animal feeds on what he um, how he digests stuff and just you know the, the behaviors of sheep and, and that can help you as well as far as you know oh yeah hunting but some people are just uh, want to get out there and get it done but to me there's <clears throat> it's an interesting animal and and to know more about it just uh, i learned a way more than i knew when yeah. i first started i thought i knew a lot about sheep hunting and, mm-hmm. I, and i shot you know quite a few rams and whatnot but in the process of writing the book you have to be um <clears throat> you know accurate and so i did a lot of research and stuff like that and and i found out a lot of stuff that I, you know i, I was i'm more knowledgeable now yeah. than i was then <laughs> i would certainly hope so right. so how many uh how many page how many pages there's over 1800 there? pages 1800? i'm not sure 1816 or something like that and the first volume 660 pages and the second one's 630 and the last one's 530 and it wasn't intended to be three volumes yeah it just grew so big that it had to be separated and one oh, guy yeah. uh, emailed me the other day, and he said, uh, you know, I, I just finished volume one, and he said, I can hardly put them down. He said, I'm, and he said, but the only problem is that, uh, when I have to, the reason why I stop is I get arm fatigue. Yeah. <laughs> from, from yeah. Book, well, that's so. probably a better idea, how big they are. How much do, how much do those three volumes weigh? They weigh 23 and a half pounds. <laughs> so in, in the box, so the box probably weighs a half pound to, yeah. to ship them, but uh yeah, I, it turned out to be an. A, I never when I was writing a book, I really didn't think about how I was going to sell them or mm-hmm. anything like that. I just put it all together, and I uh, had so many people that had contributed and stuff like that with stories and whatnot and pictures that I had to finish. And I, there was a times I thought, well, man, I'm I'm not know if I'm ever going to finish this thing. Yeah. And then uh, <clears throat> getting a publisher, I didn't want to have it done in China. I hate everything done in you know made mm-hmm. in China. So. I went with uh, Friesen Press in uh, Canada, and uh, and and working back and forth with people, um, trying to get things laid out. It took two years, solid years. To oh, I get believe that. that. 
And then uh, the printing was done in Manitoba. It's just slightly over the border from Montana. And then it took a semi and a half to bring them down because you can only stack them five deep. To, yeah. So they don't match the slip case. Mm-hmm. And so that was a, a nightmare in itself. And uh, <clears throat> finally got them down to Salt Lake where my daughter lives and, uh, and, and house them there. And then I hauled two loads up to Alaska. And yeah. a lot of them she's shipping out of there. So. Yeah. Well, so sounds like you got way in over your head, but you were too far to quit. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. I, I figure I got conservatively 12,000 hours uh, wow. uh, involved in the thing. You know, I, at my age, uh, I started out at, what, 62 or something like that. I ended up at 73. You don't need to be sitting on your rear end. but I And I'm really not a computer guy, but I've learned a lot. And uh, and I'd exercise an hour a day, but uh, in setting the other 11 hours when you're doing this, is not good on your back yeah. and the whole, yeah. whole work. So uh, i, I got to say my health kind of <laughs> really wasn't, you know, so – Anyway, it uh, and you know, there's I've met a lot of new people buying books, and I met people that I have killed, you know, like yourself, and different ones have shot a lot of rams, and uh, so I probably I may end up doing a rampages four, but mm-hmm. the, the easy thing about that, my wife's not real happy about it, <laughs> is I I don't have to get any into the any controversy or any of the uh, other stuff. It's just stories and uh, photos and. Yeah. Captions and it's easy stuff. The more know. the funner stuff, right? Exactly. Than just like all the the painstaking research and fact checking. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, so. and all that makes sense. But uh, yeah, that's awesome. Well, when um, I don't know, I want to hear more because like, you know we talked on the phone a little bit mm-hmm. before, but uh, it'd be I'd, I'd love to hear like some of your story. You know, how'd you were you born up here? How'd you end up up here? And you know what what got you into yeah, sheep hunting? Because obviously it became a sickness like uh, a lot of us. Right. <laughs> well, you either love it and continue on and. Well, I tell my wife, I uh, I don't drink and I don't uh, chase wild women. Yep. So my my uh, habit is uh, sheep hunting. Yep. And uh, so she says, well, I guess that's better, you know. But in fact, well, what happened was <clears throat> we grew up in Oregon and uh, we lived three miles apart, my wife and I. And and our, both of our folks work for a, a logging company. And uh, so... Uh, you know, I did, I did hundreds with my dad, just, uh, uh, blacktail and mm-hmm. I, I love to hunt, but, uh, I was also playing athletics and stuff and I never really got into the elk hunting and stuff with him over in Eastern Oregon. He was a really good elk hunter. And, uh, so I, you know, I, I learned to be a pretty good woodsman just with him hunting and stuff. And, yeah. and so, uh, got into the military during the Vietnam war and I, um, uh, you know, I, I sure, I sure was going to go to Vietnam. So I, I wanted to get some good training. So I went to, uh, I went through airborne school and went back to special forces and, and those guys liked me back there and they said, son, you don't, you don't want to go to Vietnam. I said, it's uh it's not a good place at all. And, uh, and they said, um, I was married and I was, I was 20 years old and my wife was, I think she maybe turned 19. And, uh, I said, well, man, I'd like to go to Alaska. You know, I've heard, I heard a lot about it and, um, all the game and stuff up there and, so those guys, his name was Sergeant Major Booth. I'll never forget him, that name. And so he cut orders on me and sent me to Alaska. So we had a 56 Mercury. We had driven back to Fort Bragg. And uh, so we headed out. I sold a, um, that rig, got a 67, uh, 67 Ford, 68 Ford truck, three-quarter ton. And we headed for Alaska. And there's 1,121 miles of dirt road back in those days. Yeah. Anyway, we got up here, and uh, you know, just I fell in love with it. My wife liked it as well, and uh, of course, when you're young, when you get older, she kind of. W- the deal was, <clears throat> I'd uh, well, actually, I'd get ahead of myself. Uh, so, I was in the military up here for three years, and um, 
And when I finished, uh, she, uh, well, I killed a sheep the first year I was eligible. Mm-hmm. And I think it was a year later, so like 69. And then I got out in 1970, and, and our first child, she lost, uh, she had gotten sick, and uh, it caused the baby to, uh, yeah. six months to, she lost it. So she decided she'd go hunting with me uh, rather than me hunt by myself. Mm-hmm. And so we went up Eagle River and spent 30 days up there. I packed 130 pounds, and she packed uh, 50 pounds, which was really good. Load. Yeah. And um, so we shot two sheep and a goat. Shot the goat first, packed it out, and then we went back, and and we got two sheep. I think her scored like 166, mine one scored 168, and uh, they were good rams. Yeah. Uh, saw some bigger ones, uh, just uh, didn't, uh, you know, you're learning, and uh, oh, yeah. you don't always get the big ones. <laughs> They're smart. So uh, anyway, I was a – I didn't want to stay in the military uh, because I wanted to. Uh, I'd like to go back to Alaska, and of course, I wanted to be a teacher. So I, um, <clears throat> I'd play baseball in college and had a scholarship. But I, um, very few people make it to the pros, you know. And mm-hmm. So I wanted. It's the next best thing. I uh, went out and finished at the University of Oregon uh, College, and I, um, and there's no PE job that as a PE teacher. That's what I was studying, and then. Um, so uh, there's no jobs in Alaska for a PE teacher. There's, they're all filled. Yeah. So I uh, went an extra year and uh, got a, a certificate so I could teach uh, all subjects uh, through eighth grade. Mm-hmm. And so I got a, a job uh, in Wasilla, and that's where I spent my whole time. Uh, of course, in Wasilla in 76, the year our daughter was born, three years later, it was the fastest growing city in the United States. You know, yeah. It was changing big time. And uh, so anyway, we we bought a, had a, tra- a little place and put a, uh, our trailer in there and um, – and uh, we had a nine-month-old son at that time, and then uh, three years later, my, our daughter was born. And uh, and I was just teaching and coaching. And uh, and you know, the good thing about being a PE teacher, and then uh, two, it took me two years before I get the PE job because it finally opened mm-hmm. up. And is I I got to exercise all day long with the kids. Yeah. And so I was in good shape. And man, they just, hunting was just seemed easy for me. You know? Yeah. And uh, although there's a learning curve, I. My wife said, uh, you know, God takes care of fools and idiots. And he says, I qualify in both categories. Because <laughs> when, <clears throat> when you're young, you you do things that probably marginal and stuff. And mm-hmm. I, there's a few times I've fallen and could have end up, you know, uh, really dead. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's, and you learn, as you learn if you get by those things. Like my airplane, when I was, uh, bought an airplane and learned to fly, I didn't last very long. I ended up crashing the thing, and uh, so and it's too expensive uh, raising a family, and I just didn't yeah. get back into the flying. But, um, yeah, if you survive those first few things, you learn in a hurry, you know. Um, Misery is a good teacher. Oh, yeah. Close calls. But uh, so anyway, we uh, went back outside. I finished college and came back. And I told her, give me five years back in Alaska. And if you want to leave, we will, you know, after mm-hmm. that. So it's been almost 50 years now. Nice. And about five years ago, she, uh, you know, it's become a joke. Uh, she said, well, when do I get my five years? And I said, well, honey, I'm sure going to miss you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she, she's a good sport. And, um, you know, she shot one ram. She doesn't really. Uh, she doesn't really care. I uh, I finally quit. I had her on a pretty good sized ram, and I I was trying uh, trying to coax her through to shoot the thing, and she started crying. And <laughs> I said, "Okay, you know, I, yeah. I, there's no need to, you know, she'll help skin them, do or, you know, bone them out, uh, cook them, and all that." But she doesn't really, you know, she got a soft heart. She doesn't want yep. to shoot anything. So. Yeah, and there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that. No, there's not. <laughs> it's you know, it probably become a little frustrating for guys like you <laughs> when you know we got the got the bloodlust or whatever in the heat right. of the moment and right, you know. So no, that's that's cool. 
So she's been on me with several hunts. She, in fact, she drew a permit. I could never draw. I, well, I drew one in the last 30 or years there since, uh, you know, 14C and uh, two guys all on permit. She drew a permit, and uh, we uh, uh, flew and found a really big ram, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and, and – uh, course it shot about rams and i didn't want to just go in and just shoot a, you know a small one so yeah. we, we found one really big one up peters creek and so it was 25 miles in there and so we uh came home got the packs ready and took off the next day and it took us a day and a quarter to get in there and that's pretty good it's oh she yeah was, she was 70 uh no she was 65 years old and she was packing 38 pounds and and uh yeah <laughs> she told me that's my last hunt yeah <laughs> so Anyway, she's a good sport, and and I really like her as a as a uh, hunting partner because like I eat biscuits and yeah. all kinds of stuff in camp, <laughs> and I don't do that good when I'm by myself. I'll tell you. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I sure don't. But yeah. yeah, that's awesome. I mean, it's a uh, and it's funny because when a guy like you says don't want to shoot little sheep that's anything hanging on my wall. <laughs> well, now let, let me back up a little bit. Uh, you know, uh, they're all trophies and. And everybody has a different one. Uh, you know, I've shot 35 rams, and so I try to um, get people to, once you shot several rams, and the first, yeah. and my first ram was 36 inches, and I worked mm-hmm. really hard for that ram. And it, I ended up over a 6,400-foot peak, and, and, and I could just barely get up there. And I couldn't even get over the top. And I mm-hmm. ended up leaning out, and I shot around on a – I shouldn't have even shot it because how was I going to retrieve it, you know? Yeah. And, but I was – you know, I wanted to get a ram so bad. Oh, yeah. So I shot him, and he fell off the backside of the mountain, hit on a glacier, and slid down and hung up on some rocks. It took me two days to walk down, back down to the main valley, around up. Oh. And then I got out some maps and stuff, and I, I finally figured out where he was at. And I and I, and I got up there, and uh, I, I really shouldn't have gone out. He was out about, about 50 feet out on this glacier, hung up on the rocks. Boy. And I had a, uh, a Gerber steel, and I chipped me some foot steps out there but if i had slipped i would have went like a slide down there and right oh, out the, yeah. and, and i'd have been, been toast even you know I, a lot of people don't realize that time of year after you know in the summer those glaciers it doesn't take very much of a slope if there's any that you know right melt on top where it's just super slick and dangerous the sheep it hit and it and it gutted it i mean the, it, it, so the, it was in perfect shape yeah uh, it, was, it was cold on that glacier and stuff so I got out there and I uh, boned it out. Well, I didn't bone it out. The first sheep, and so I just uh, and I was in a hurry to get off of there, mm-hmm. and uh, so I uh, I just quartered uh, quartered it and took the back straps and stuff and the ribs, and uh, and I didn't want to pack it all on one. I didn't even want to put it on my back. So mm-hmm. I ended up with a, with a pack and some uh, cord I had. I pulled it out like it's here and it hung up on a rock. So I threw a rock out there and I bent the frame, uh, yeah. knocking it loose, and then it swung around back to me. So I took that half down, and I went, went back up to get the other half, and something had taken the front shoulder, and I know it was either a, an eagle or a wolverine or something. Yeah. It was gone, and so uh, anyway, I got down there and boned it out, and uh, that was the first hunt. But it's you know thirty six inch ram. It's it, it's my poorest one, but hey, it was uh, you know I I worked really hard for that ram. Oh yeah, and it was, and I was elated, you know, to get one. Yeah, it's all relative. I think I was more appreciative, and probably uh, you know back then when you're uh, you know in, as you shoot bigger rams and you want you get spoiled, and yeah. Um, so uh, I and I joke about that. It's all I mean, it's all kind of in the eye of the beholder. What right? You know, kind of turns your gears and and back you know, in you know back in those days, there were so many sheep. 
in the park there, there's like 3,500 sheep in 14C. Yeah. And there was uh, the first valley that I, where my wife and I went up in, in uh, 1970, there were 17 full curls in that valley. Man. <laughs> and, and and there were there's very few small ones. I mean, they were, you know. The, yeah, the genetics, genetics are there. there, yeah. That's the same area that the, the first uh, guy that drew the first um, uh, governor's permit, not mm-hmm. drew it, but bought it. Uh, he wanted a 180 or nothing, and so they f- figured that valley is the one that had it, and they yeah. did have one. So he went up there and uh, <clears throat> with uh, his guide, and uh, there's a big rock up there that's like a cave that you can sleep like at least three people, and, and if you move stuff around, you can sleep four mm-hmm. under it, and you, you don't have to have ten. It's just oh, nice. I didn't find it the first year I went up there, but the second year I found it, and uh, man, it's, it's, I cut alders in the back, you know, and put it under the back of the rock, and then the next year they're dry, and what a oh man, what a neat place. I yeah. just uh, and uh, so anyway, uh, but it's a when we shot two sheep that year in 1970, I didn't. I didn't uh, had it figured. I didn't have it figured out how to stay just above the alders in the hard rock, and you just kind of work your way mm-hmm. there. That's the best way to do it. So we went straightest line, went right through the alders, and it took sixteen hours to go through three miles oh. of alders. And oh, I tell you, what a what a with two sheep. I mean, it was a uh, it was miserable. There's I don't know my experience. Most of the country I've hunted, I haven't had to deal with a lot of them, but yeah. when I have, there's <laughs> seems like there's almost nothing so disheartening as having to whack your way through alders just grabbing you at every (laughs) you know but i've learned to kind of appreciate the alders because i've i've had times where they were really i saved my life one time jumping on and it had to jump a file and i jumped down and grabbed a couple little alders and kept me from going over yep broke my rifle and hat at the stock at the time but uh and then they burn they burn really good and Mm -hmm. um and and that's neat whenever you're cold or you know drying out and it also kind of protects the sheep because a lot of people don't want to go through. Nope. I, I'm short and stocky, so, uh, you know, I, I wasn't uh, – one guy used to play professional basketball. I coached basketball, and he used to tease me about being short, can't dunk, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, he uh, – when it comes to sheep hunting, he killed one sheep, and I come back with one every year, and he, he kind of quit teasing me because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's advantages to every size. So. Yeah, yeah, that's stuff. And, uh, and, and sometimes, you know, they're like – you know, you, my my experience wasn't that wasn't that crazy, but I did. You know, one time I did was climbing up. Basically, took us all day jungling up through these almost vertical shoot yeah. up through these alders, and you're you're climbing on them. You know, right? They, the way they, they, they stick you. out of the hillside, but you know, kind of get up over this about a four or five foot rock ledge and then it's a nice steep grass slope and it was raining got mm-hmm. almost to the top of it and slipped and that grass just slide all the way down and just grab myself on the alders going right. over well and uh you know even if i had gone over they probably would have caught me before i got banged up too bad right yeah there's a guy i know that uh, went up there to eagle river where i honey drew a permit this later on <clears throat> And uh, he uh, slipped on some grass, and he had on rubber pants or, or you know, some stuff. And he yeah. he went down the mountain just going like crazy, cool. busted his leg in five places, oh. and um, had to be helicoptered out. I mean, it was, yeah. It's serious, you know, like, uh, and, you know, I don't know. Sometimes all, all it takes is one little slip, you know. Right. Oh, exactly. There's, you know, I don't know. I seem to wipe out once, <laughs> once a year or so. It's, it's usually, you know. Right. You kind of once you figure you're going, you right. You brace for it, but it's when you get into that uncontrolled descent type of thing, rather than just tipping over on the hillside. Well, I think yeah, you gotta. 
I try to go by the philosophy that uh, <clears throat> for safety, you, you got to have a, you don't want to fall very far. And so no. you always try to figure out the best route. And the, in the case that you do fall, it's not as too bad. Mm-hmm. You know, at least you survive and don't die. You might break something, but yeah. uh, uh, sometimes you have to lower packs down and, and, and do different things. But uh, I've had two friends that uh, died sheep hunting and they're in the, the middle of the first volume. And, um, one of them was two big, strong kids that moved up here to Alaska, and and they uh, summited Mount McKinley with their mother, and they built a uh, great big log house, and they mm-hmm. they wanted to do everything. And they shot a ten foot six brown bear, and then uh, they uh, went back into the Bernard Glacier, was looking after a big ram, and he's coming out, and uh, they went up a side canyon, and uh, they got a, a, lot, a lot of ice and stuff calved off on them, and they covered them up, and. Mm. The one guy, he's become like my second son in Alaska when we became friends um, and hunted a couple of times together. And he's about 53 now. and uh, But uh, they were, of course, really young then. And they summited Mount McKinley with their blind mother. And then, oh, wow. And then that fall, they went on the sheep hunt. They got covered up, and uh, they never did find his brother. Mm. And uh, really a sad story. And uh, um, But then the other one was uh, uh, another friend, uh, Roy Roth. He... He died about two years ago. Yeah, and, I remember uh, that. And he's a really a strong guy and a heck of a hunter. But one misstep at the wrong place, and you can, uh, you know, we're all going to, you know, when your time comes. Yep. You just try to minimize it if you can. And, of course, like his wife said, you know, he, he died doing what he loved. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you could get killed in, on a road accident. So yep. uh, I kind of tease my wife uh, when I get really old and and i'm kind of a burden maybe on people i just go for the last sheep just take me with my rifle up and drop me off on a mountaintop with uh, just a little bit of food you know yeah but uh no yeah it's uh it can definitely be dangerous what's uh what's probably i don't know if you'd say like the the scariest or most more like most well crazy you know, the, 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 experience the scariest well um i had to shoot a brown bear one time yeah and uh you know it, it was it was on a stream and i uh, my scope's on nine power and and uh the um it jumped this bear and uh it you know i had to shoot it about 30 feet coming at me i you know you, they say they're gonna bluff but when one's running just like it's here i yep. i'm not taking a chance and uh so i i shot him and he went down but on nine power all, all i could see was hair yeah know? so i shot him again it's a 300 weatherby and all i had was uh, i don't carry one in the chamber mm-hmm. so uh, i pulled one off the stock put it in and he's about as close as you are about six feet away and he was I mean, he's coming full tilt and i yeah. shot him and i think it broke his right shoulder down i just closed the bolt and fired it at the hip yeah and it, it caused him to change directions and he went by me i could have hit him with a barrel mm-hmm. and is a nine foot brown bear and he just Oh, he had, he headed out up the up the stream, and I, d- I never saw him again. And uh, but uh, I'm sure he went out and died someplace. Yeah. Uh, but uh, and uh, so anyway, I when I laid down that night, I could uh, honest to God, I could see that bear on my eyelids. I mean, it's like a screen. There. Yeah. And so I studied ballistics for for six weeks or so, and trying to figure out. And I, was, I was looking at getting a three thirty eight, three seventy eight, mm-hmm. a lot of horsepower. Oh yeah. But I got a buddy, uh, Tom Carlson. That's um, comes up and hunts with me occasionally uh, a lot of times deer and stuff like that and he's he's really into ballistics and mm-hmm. he uh, um he said you're not going to enjoy that it'll knock your shoulder off 
it just costs if you don't um uh, you know uh reload yourself it's going to cost you 125 dollars a box and and uh, he said so i, I ended end up buying a 340 weatherby with a fluted barrel from yeah. uh, hs precision nice and I shoot a 225 grain bullet. It actually has a better trajectory than, um, than that 300 Weatherby. It weighed two pounds less. Oh, wow. And uh, it had a, that fluted barrel, and it's really uh, pretty waterproof with a stainless steel barrel and a Teflon coating and stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's a great rifle. It's a little, but now I'm shooting a uh, uh, Kimber Mountain Ascent uh, 308. Um, he fixed up some 240 grain for bear in the bottom in case you run into a yeah. bear and then i put the 150 grains in uh, for sheep and yeah pretty nice. good yeah that's uh and i cut off two and a half pounds yeah they're of, turning out some some there's a few companies turning out some really lightweight rifles those exactly mountain ascents those barrett field crafts are super lightweight right you know i mean even some like like those browning x bolts are lighter than any standard you know they're more of a standard factory rifle and they're lighter than you know stuff you would you would sure. get a right. few years ago when i go to kodiak though i i take that lumber bus that 340 yeah. I, I don't want to there's those bear there or they're big and they're um you need horsepower yeah i've been uh i've been um using a 375 ruger for quite a few years now it's when i when i did a little bit of guiding down there it's what i carry and if there's that's you know, going checking bear baits and stuff right. like that, tracking bears. That's what I got, and that thing will, it will shoot end to end through a ten foot brown bear. Yeah, right. It uh, it shellacks stuff. It punted wounds on one end and kills on the <laughs> other. Yeah, well, that's what they want. I mean, uh, I don't go out and hunt bear on purpose, but over the years I've had a few incidents. Mm-hmm. Boy, I tell you what, it um, once they get their adrenaline up, they're hard. You got to you. Gotta, they just keep coming. They oh don't, yeah, they don't die I mean, easy. to the point. Yeah, to the point. You you know you feel bad, feel horrible for some a couple of these bears. You know where they figured out we were there before the shooting started, and yeah, they get get a chance to get amped up, and you know when we when it takes thirteen or fourteen shots with three seventy fives and right. stuff, it's just it's just come on, just give up the ghost. But <laughs> right, um, yeah, they're definitely, <laughs> and those are no you know those are big rifles too exactly yeah there's a total difference i mean once they get that drilling up they they just it takes them well i've heard that it takes like 90 seconds for them to bleed out so you, you can shoot their heart out but they, yep. get, they can run the length of a football pill field and tear you up and then yep before they die you know? yep and good luck if you if you didn't you know if you got one lung or something like that right. yeah yeah, you know, if you shoot them off at a distance, they don't even know you're there. They they just uh, seem to die fairly easy, and they don't go far. They but yeah. once they know what's causing the problem for them, yeah, they, it's uh, uh, like it's you know all the story. all the all the bears I've killed with a bow. I don't think I've had when I made a good shot. I don't think any of them have gone over fifty or sixty yards. Mm-hmm. You know, they just don't know don't right. know what happened. Right. A lot of them, you'll see them run run about thirty yards and then stop and start walking and yeah you know right get get a little woozy and tip over but mm-hmm. is that through what and you'd say you're using it you're shooting a 308 now what what's right. your what would you say because it's such a popular topic what's your favorite sheep round or sheep rifle well you know if i wasn't concerned about weight i really like that 340 weatherby uh is uh you know it's a 338 it shoots uh i went from a nosler and i and to a Barnes X bullet, and uh, I don't know if, if if it was just a fluke thing there with that bear so close. Mm-hmm. And, uh, 
I really not don't that know that much about ballistics, but I, I talked to some uh, people, and they said, well, the nozzle are coming out at 3,400 feet per second out of that Weatherby. 180-grain um, bullet doesn't hold together very good, and I thought it would, but close distance, they said no. So anyway, I went to that uh, Barnes X bullet, and I had to shoot a bear after that, and I and it, uh, of course, bear, you know, is probably a lot of it's where you hit them, you know. Yeah. And so, uh, but I was, I felt like I needed more horsepower. Once I, once you about get over run over by a bear, you, you yeah. start changing your uh, tune a little bit. Uh, you think bear or there's a bear, they usually, their intentions you, but sometimes a bear can be old and have bad teeth. Yep. Uh, and they're just ornery bears sometimes that can, like people, some of them are just, just ornery. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you know, they're the biggest predator out there and so if he wants to come after you i, I just want something that's going to stop him if i can yeah I, i'll try to go around him i'll try to you know shoot a bullet in front of him if i can and stuff like that but when one starts huffing and puffing and, and he starts running at you you know i'm not going to wait until he hits 10 feet away no from me and, you can't you can't there's stop. it's so fast you know you're lucky to be able to get it be know what's going on when they're far enough out to get right to get to get on them but yeah it's it's nuts even that you know, doing driving bears down on a fog neck. You know, if we'd spot them out of Peninsula, we'd drop a couple guys out on the end and, and the other guy to take the hunter and mm-hmm. wait at a bottleneck and we'd push them and right. walking through the woods. And, or, yeah, I mean, really, anytime you hear one of the bears start huffing and puffing, even with that 375, I'm like, you just get the feeling that I want a bigger gun. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're a formidable animal. For you sure. know, and then just the, no matter how big your rifle is, is oh, I hope I can hit them if this gets yeah, or wait, you know, wait till they you can't possibly miss. But for sure, yeah, that's nuts. I've actually never really had myself had any bear issues sheep hunting. You know, a lot of it's the country I'm in, right? Exactly. But uh, you know, I've been on trips where my Steve Holland back you mm-hmm. I, right, I know you know him yeah. his his brothers always had the worst luck with bears. I've been on trips with them where mm-hmm. his brother, you know, there for a couple of years, grizzly bears ate, ate both his, ate his sheep two years in a row, oh, you know, and he's <laughs> trying, and he had a, he had shot a caribou one year and there was the, he had moved the meat about, I don't know, a couple hundred yards from the gut pile mm-hmm. and was going back to get a load. And this big grizzly was on it and, uh, mm-hmm. got, bluff charged him three times or so and never got close mm-hmm. he didn't shoot him but got a load and then he had one more load and that night i guess he uh in his tent he'll he'll sleep he'll have his rifle around in the chamber when he's by himself but he'll open right. the bolt sure so he just mm-hmm. and he said something happened there was some defect in the weld on that bolt and he went to open the bolt and his bolt handle snapped off oh jeez. So there you had to go get another load with a grizzly that had already charged him without a rifle oh, <laughs> working. Uh, but, yeah. Uh, yeah, fortunately, I've, I've never had much of an well, issue. Well, you know. I've had issues where, right. you know, it's I'm more tar- targeting bears and putting mm-hmm. in putting myself in situations that it's way more likely. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I figure in 50 years out there, I've only had uh, like three incidents with bear, and that's pretty good, really. I oh, mean, yeah. You know, you can have more incidents uh, with uh, accidents on a highway, but uh, so most of the time they're pretty good. People used to ask me, "Well, how do you go up in the mountains and, and sleep there?" You know, and how you? I said, "Well, I'd rather I feel more comfortable up on the mountain because most bear are pretty good. They they don't inside your tent. They don't just pounce on your tent. No. You know? And so they'll wander around. You can kind of get an idea, and they usually run off 
99% of the time. Mm-hmm. I'd rather uh, have, uh, I feel more comfortable there than I would go downtown Anchorage and pitch my tent and sleep there during the night. I couldn't go to sleep with, uh, oh, yeah. with people wandering around. You'll have to get your throat slit, you know? Oh, yeah. So. Yeah, so. especially the way it is now. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't, y'all, you think about it and you're aware of it, but it doesn't. Right. Most of the time it. Well, I don't know, like, so your chances of dying in a car crash on your way to work are probably way more than a bear pulling you out of your tent. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. But, but yeah. Yeah, you know, you, but you're in tune. When you get out there like that, your senses, you, you, you hear something out there that's not normal, the sound, stuff like mm-hmm. that, boom, you're awake. Yep. I had one bear that came into a lake where I was at camping and stuff, and I was eating a dinner and rifle laying there on the ground and that thing came in and it was a bouncing on his front feet about 30 feet from me before i saw it a big old blonde grizzly man i i picked up my rifle and i fired a shot right over its head and man that thing wheeled and turned around and, and left you know yeah. but if as close as it was if i hadn't hit it if it had came after me i might have got one more shot you know yeah that's and so, uh, anyway, it, it left, but that night I, I was so, uh, leery there after that bear had come in like that. I took where my tent was in the woods and stuff there. I, there's some old Avgas cans from years ago. Uh, some of the hunters had left in there uh, mm-hmm. and whatnot. So I put those around, I put some rocks on top of them and I put a, uh, cord going around, you know, oh, to each pull one of those rocks. <laughs> yeah. In case, uh, he came back in you know, yeah. on a little bit of a uh, warning. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but I guess he wanted my freeze dried dinner. I don't know. He wouldn't have been too, wouldn't have filled him up too much. But you never know about a bear. But yeah, that's it. it's and the whole the whole warning shot thing. I think if they're far enough away, I know I could get another round in the chamber. I, I know a guy that almost well he had one same thing, or they were sitting on a trail eating lunch, and bear came walking down the other end of the trail, and he shot once. I think it was a you know, three thirty eight, held three rounds, and shot once in the dirt. And the bear charged, and he said he got one more in the chamber, shot hit below him, and he stopped. He said he, and just shaking his head, and said he threw, got got slobber on his boots. That's too close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, warning shot right between the eyes at that point, I think. <laughs> yeah. Well, you did, uh, yeah. I, you know, I talked to some old timers, and they said if a bear won't go away, and if they're charging you, you know, you better shoot them. Yeah. Um, don't wait. Um, they may stop 10 feet away, but they may, they, if they don't, you're in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. That's the truth. So, but yeah, I was going to ask you too. Um, I imagine sheep hunting gear has changed quite a bit since you started, huh? It has, you know, I, I'm kind of old school. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I totally like the Gore-Tex boots today and, uh, I like Dan, mm-hmm. uh, well, I used to. Well, you know, I've walked a lot of boots dry, and boy, that's hard on yeah. your, hard on your feet. And uh, but uh, these Gore-Tex boots I have today are, are, are great, and of course the the soles, you know, perform better. And uh, used to have Vibram soles and stuff like that, but I've also they didn't where they were came together at the sole, they'd come apart there a lot. You know, yeah, in the old Did, days, a lot of those boots they didn't have these like rubber no, rands right. or whatever. Imagine your boots get te- tore up. They do a lot quicker, and I didn't use them very good. I, I'd take and I'd climb up on a mountain there, and and if there's nothing I can find anything up there, I'd run down these shale slides, and that stuff just yeah eats, eats away your boots, and that's not the best way. To, but, but with these rubber rams like you're talking about, you don't get that problem either. Yeah, like the old day they used to they used to sew them, and then they would have uh, actually use nails in there. And boy, I tell you what, uh, those things once you break that loose, and those nails oh. are sticking you in the feet. It's a I, the first ones I uh, was I call them they're K99 from Eddie Bauer. 
I wore them out in 19 days. I mean, they were slap wore out. They were coming apart. Wow. And I had a parachute cord going around and yeah. trying to hold them together, you know. <laughs> Boy, yeah, that's nuts. Um, but I didn't treat them right. I, You know, I, I'm better on my gear now. And so, anyway, when I wrote the book, Bob Hodson, uh, their Barney's, um, he uh, he kind of laughed. He looked at my stuff. He said, well, Lou, you're, you're you know, a lot of your gear is really good. Of course, I used his packs. And, mm-hmm. of course, his packs over the years really have now what they're just, I, I really love them. And, and the problem is today, you get one of those packs filled up, it may be a little hard to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I, I really like his uh, packs. But um, he said, uh, let me write you a chapter on the cutting edge gear, you know, mm-hmm. and so he did, and and I understand that, but you know, I don't go with uh, all the, um, I just um, camo and all that stuff. I just uh, work. I like my back. I like yep. g- a great backpack. I like good boots, and I can do with uh, yeah. rain gear. You know? Yeah, rain but, gear, uh, and I, I, you know, I like those are those cool pants or whatever. Yeah. I I have tended over the years. Um, to mostly get that stuff on sale you know they're like the more mountaineering brands because it's right. a lot of it's very similar very good performing you don't right. you really you know camel's about the last thing you should be worried about sheep on i don't know my experience if you put yourself in a spot where they can see you they're going to see you no matter what you're wearing exactly there may be a few situations where it might help but that's you know there's a lot bigger right. things to be worrying about i think for sure i you know i didn't have a lot of you know as a teacher and they don't get paid like some other jobs. yeah but, but it's you know it's a great i had the summers off and be able to so what i did with the with the pants and stuff um polyester you know i'd come out in those years and, and you go down to salvation army and here's all these polyester pants and some of them were brown and green and stuff like that yeah and uh, you you might not get more than one or two sheep hunts out of them but they're they're stretchy they uh they dry really fast yep. and uh, i call them preacher pants because yeah. uh, you know <laughs> and so i buy those things and uh they work great you know oh yeah yeah they're, and really not for two bucks <laughs> yeah material wise not much different than yeah than the stuff we're wearing now i mean right. i you know, a pair of pants that I actually need to seams on the crotch are coming out a little bit, so I need to touch those up. But I wore those. I don't know how many sheep hunts I wore those on, instead of mountain hardware pants, and they're like on sale for fifty bucks or something. Right. I do like those. I do like those Sitka, like Timberline pants. I mm-hmm. wore those last year. They're super comfortable. But uh, well, yeah, yeah, it's it's just amazing. Intense. You know, like yeah. I I also asking myself this sometimes and talk with buddies that i don't know if you know the joke is you know we're nowhere near as tough as you guys were back then i don't know if it's it's that or just you guys were more hard-headed or you weren't able to endure as much you know know? yeah Uh, you go with what you had you take guys years ago uh mountain climbers and all that uh, if if you don't have any better you don't know any better yeah exactly plus you're young and you're strong and you may be dumb and you just go with what you have don't get me wrong. I, I like great gear. Um, I make mine last. Uh, you know, I don't uh, yep. always keep the, you know, there may be something come out there that's 10% better, but why throw it away? I, uh, you know, um, I've been, oh, yeah. I've been married for 53 years, so I, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, yep. <laughs> I get something good to use it, you know. Or, yeah, uh, for sure. Keep it. Yeah, it's, uh, but, yeah, I think, I think, you know, 
I'm a little bit in the middle. I do like kind of nerding out on the stuff and mm-hmm. seeing what's out there, but I also, you know, I don't ever want to tell anybody, oh, you have to have this or right. that, or, you know, because there's... Well, there's certain, you know, um, weight dries everything. If you can get a lot less weight, uh, that's great. I, I My wife makes me these ripstop nylon that breathes uh, bags mm-hmm. for my meat and stuff like that, and I use them for, I have 10 of them for... A moose hunt and a couple for sheep hunts, yeah. and just easy to transport the meat and keep it, take it out and and everything, and it and it breathes and everything. And I use those. I she makes me shafts and stuff that I use for crossing streams uh, that aren't too bad. Nice. And uh, and I'll, I'll really like the shafts because of my crotch breathes, you know. And, mm-hmm. and then I can get right down there on my knees and work on an animal without bending over. And then when I working on pieces, boning them out there, I put them on my lap there as I'm sitting there doing it. So it's pretty comfortable and I don't get all, ever all bloody and those things wash off in a stream and they're, uh, nice. Uh, that really works. works good. Yeah. Do they, uh, you just cinch them around your boots? For I do. Crossing? Yeah. And, uh, she makes them pretty gusseted in the bottom there so that I can put my boot right through them. Yeah. And, uh, and then I just tie them, uh, to my belt uh, or a loop up on top. And then, um, if the stream is, let's say it's maybe, maybe even 18 inches or a foot or so, a lot of those you sometimes cross back and forth. And so yeah. I don't even take my boots off. I just take a cord and I just go around the boot a couple of times and cinch it down and mm-hmm. tie a knot in that thing. And then if you step, don't, don't let, you know, step yeah. pretty fast going across, uh, you don't, you don't get wet. And, yeah. uh, that works really good. Um, if I, way I cross the stream, if, if, uh, you know, you know, I I wait across with the pack on my back, but if it's a chance to gets deep or uh, is a little bit dangerous uh, of getting swept away or whatever, I take a gar- big garbage bag, contractor's garbage bag, mm-hmm. and I'll put my pack in there. It fits in there really good, and I take I get a little bit of duct tape and I tape up the ends. Then I put my uh, shoes and boots and my rifle and stuff on top of the pack, tied down there and uh, upside down, and it floats really high. It only draws maybe two inches. Oh of water. wow. And I just grab a hold of that thing and take uh, and go out in the stream. And, um, and if, if the water does, a lot of times on the curl on the other side where it curves and stuff, it gets deeper. And if I lose my footing, I just uh, use, use make sure you got plenty of room downstream. Yeah, you know. And I just uh, flutter kick over there until my feet hit the bottom again. Then I just walk up the bank and pick it up and set it out, and it, it works great. Yeah, boy, that's yeah, that's pretty intense. I had a. It's yeah, really safe. Something. It's uh, yeah. Easiest, easiest way, and if you get, let's say you've gone across a stream, and all of a sudden it really comes up on the way back, and you got to cross that thing. Yep. And uh, if, if I heard boulders rolling in it, I usually don't cross those things. But if I had to, I'd leave my boots on. I'd strip down otherwise, but I'd leave my boots on so I don't get, uh, and so you could get good footing. Yep. On the and so you don't get because you could get crushed in there with a rock and oh, get stuck in the stream. And I do the same thing with my pack, and so then, and, and I just run across that thing as fast as I get across, you know, bouncing across. Eventually, you're going to get down. And if you start losing your uh, footing and stuff like that, you're going to touch the bottom. And you can eventually get out down there. But um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, I've never, yeah, that's that's interesting. I never would have thought. I guess I've always been a little on the shy side, you know, because it really it doesn't take when a stream like that's mm-hmm. moving. It doesn't take all that much water to right. sweep you off your feet exactly i uh you know i, I like those uh those neos river trekker mm-hmm. overshoes they're heavy but right i just hate 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 wet boots i do too so I, I don't I, usually uh, keep my boots the only time yeah. i use the boots on is if it was a really bad stream yeah and uh i had to get across gotcha other than that i, I still use the boat the the, the oh, garbage bag type thing mm-hmm. 
and uh, and I I have these little I've had them for thirty or forty years uh, uh, Nike Aqua socks, mm-hmm. and they fit really tight so you don't get gravel and stuff in around your ankles stuff like that. And I just bare feet into those oh, things. Oh, gotcha. My feet are tender. I don't like walking. Yeah. Around. Plus, you can cut yourself in there. Oh, yeah. In the stream. Yeah, it's so. uh, but it you know for me walk walking, you know I'm a taller guy, but. If it, that water's getting about to the top of those boots, you know, in a decently, unless, you know, any mountain stream, boy, it's about all I can do to stay on right. my feet. And right. I really like using trekking poles yeah. to, Yeah, want, I like know, one, at least one downstream, you know. Yep. So, a little bit of Yeah, but when, it, when it's going so fast, you got to right. slam your trekking pole down to the bottom washed so it out. doesn't get washed out. Right. Yeah, you know it's moving, but, uh, yeah, and yeah, all no, that's interesting. I'll have to... Maybe if I get ambitious, I'll have to remember that one. <laughs> float yeah. float my pack across. Yeah, it's a, it works great. Yeah, I've heard of some guys that used to uh, coming out. They used to pack in uh, little when you, you could get like the little truck inner tubes, mm-hmm. right? Um, to if it was an easy walk down the creek or whatever, they just pat, blow that up up there, right? And then lash all the meat and stuff down there, heavy mm-hmm. stuff, and just kind of float it down. Have you sure. ever tried anything like that? I did on moose. Yeah. Uh, I've done that. Uh, you know, if you really, another way to do that, you could haul in a inner tube, something like that, and maybe put it in a tree when you're, or someplace on mm-hmm. top of a rock when you're coming back. If, another another way to do that would be like if you're, it's a, it's a really a bad stream, is and you could do it with two guys or just one. And uh, you could put your inner tube over there or, you know, those, uh, what do you call them, alpaca rafts? You know, they're yeah, going to waste yeah. all that much. Lash your stuff down on over there and put it so you could pull it in. Yep. Swim across and uh, and have the cord with you, uh, with you and then you just pull it in and let it float, uh, come across. If you had two guys and you needed to uh, do that, you could put a cord on both ends so you could, uh, one guy get across and yeah. then you could pull it over with one pack and, and then he pulls it back and then he pulled the other pack over and back. Yeah, and we, other, and you do I that did way. that with Steve one time. We had a little Coleman raft and this river had to get across. And I think I, I just had a hundred foot of rope and tied one to each yeah. or a hundred foot, 200 foot lengths of rope, tied one to each end and paddle across. And then he, you know, he'd pull it back just that same thing and throw a pack in and then I'd pull it back across and he'd pull it back. Right. But, I got drugged down one time. I, you know, <clears throat> most of the time, if you're out on the glaciers and stuff, uh, of course, it can be doing something way back in the mountains, 40 miles away. But 3 o'clock in the morning, the stream's about as low as it's going to get. Yep. So I've had them be two or three feet deep, just chocolate, coming across there at 3 o'clock in the morning. It's just, you just walk across, you know, yeah. without even doing anything because it's just six inches of water. Mm-hmm. Well, one time I came in there and um, and I wanted to get across, save myself about two hours going up around to an ice bridge. And I went ahead and tried it anyway, and uh, stripped down. I had aqua socks on, and, and boy, I tell you what, I got out there, and, and it, it started. It was really strong, and it started sweeping me around. And uh, I lost, uh, you know, I went down, and my pack was filling up with water, and I uh, had a sheep on it, you know, and stuff. And, and I lost my rifle, and, yeah. and my walking stick, my hat. Uh, I was under the water, you know, oh. and uh, so I, I wanted that rifle. So I, I finally found my rifle, got a hold of the barrel. And I stood up, and I threw the pack over so it was straight. It's it full of water, and um, and where it could get mm-hmm. water in it. And I lucked out. There's a iceberg in there that had an eddy behind it. I got behind that, and I got straightened out, and I walked back out. My knees were all skinned up, and um, 
So I, uh, I, man, my teeth were chattering, and I was, you know, if I was going to, I was about to the point where I might cut my pack loose if I could swept over and went yeah. down about a hundred yards, went underneath the glacier, and I wasn't going to go there. So yeah. uh, if if that had happened, I'd had to walk thirty miles out with those aqua socks, and they wouldn't have lasted. But oh. so anyway, I got out, and I uh, was thankful, and I uh, put long johns on because it ruined my pants, mm-hmm. and. Uh, so I walked two hours up and went over a nice bridge and around and as a learning experience. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what had happened, it was raining way back up in the, uh, well, was back in the Wrangell days. And it was raining, raining back over in Canada and that, mm-hmm. all that stuff was uh, coming out. And it was, you know, if it's still chocolatey in the morning at three o'clock and pretty deep, uh, you know. Probably not a great no, idea. <laughs> no. Sometimes you're trying to save time is not good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, sure. it's and those things can vary so much. I, there's one particular little creek. I remember that if you'd get up in the morning at seven o'clock or so, and it'd be crystal clear. Right. By one o'clock in the afternoon, it's just running black. There's a bunch of that black shale around oh, yeah. that glacier. You can that see that, it coming right out yep. through the stream. Yeah. <laughs> yep. It was. Uh, yeah, that stream cross, and that's another thing that <laughs> you know you take take for granted doing it all the time, but you really have to pay attention to what you're doing. I don't know, I like to think little little problems can become big problems really, really easily. They can. You know that s- silty water, I was wearing a pair of those preacher pants I was telling you about earlier. I was down dip netting, and I was wading out and uh, dip netting there with these pants on, and they got a cuff in the bottom. And I was out there doing this for, well, getting my salmon and stuff, and, and mm-hmm. when, I, when I was done, there was about an inch round of silt that had built up in the bottom of my pants, and that in, uh, it had gone through the pants and built up inside there. Boy. So you talk, uh, you know, I've, over the years, I've heard of people, you know, pretty good people that are strong and whatnot and hunted and all that sort of thing, and they they get they drown in, in these streams. And so if you're, you get in there and your pants and everything, that stuff fills up with, uh, you can get weighted down and... Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, they say that down there in the copper. Right. You know, even with a life jacket, if you go in in the wrong wrong place, you're not coming back out. Because right. I mean, all you got to do is sit there and li- you got your boat tied off. You can hear that silt grinding oh, you on can. your hole. Yeah. You know, it's so, right. <laughs> you can stick your hand an inch under the water and not be able to see it. Right. It's really incredible to me. I mean, kind of a rabbit trail, but incredible to me how any, any flipping fish can survive. Uh, really? You know, how do they get Mm-hmm. with right. all that silt in there how can they <laughs> survive but they yeah. do you know right they're well they're doing what they're designed to do i guess it's kind of like us we uh, some people wonder why we keep going sheep hunting you know <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that's the truth it's uh yeah you either either love it or you never want to do it again and that's why you know right people would see like wonder how the heck could you ever come up with like three volumes that big and you could right. you i'm sure you could keep knocking them out but i mean when you're into it, you just eat that stuff up. Yeah. Every little bit of it's interesting, you know. It is. You know, I one of the chapters that I really like in there is, is in the third volume, and I was in, I got into that. And then I looked up, and a guy by the name of Hofs, a biologist down in Canada, done, him and some of his cohorts had done a study on odd and unusual horns. Mm-hmm. And, of course, up here we call them stumpies, and people say, well, they're broomed off. Well, it's not true. There's a couple of different categories, and it has to do with, they say, genetics. And uh, the ones that uh, really start twisting early, and a lot of times their horns are heavier. Once they, hmm. It's like they get a shot, of, some kind of a steroid shot, and after about the age of three, just a normal horn starts. In the next three years, they only put on about two or three inches of a lineal length, but they start mushrooming them out and get yeah. really big around. And the guy that shot that, uh, Brandon Burns, that shot that one down there in uh, Shugach uh, yeah. about three years ago, uh, you know, 15-inch bases. And, 
it had that abnormality and the you know they lose about maybe 15 inches on the end of their horn and sometimes it could be one horn or both and sometimes they'll curve and go into their muzzle and and, and whatnot yeah my uncle i have a picture somewhere my uncle i'll have to show you my uncle guided for one that one, well it was it more it wasn't that but it was just a abnormality where it, one of his horns grew, came out of his head almost sideways and yeah you know up against his face was right. over full curl yeah on that well a lot of times that horn is better uh, and heavier than the other yeah. horn. It's just kind of odd <laughs> doesn't make sense at all right. well that one that one you were just talking about was that one where it was growing up into his nose too? i've got a picture and if i do a rampages four uh, there i found one that actually goes through the muzzle uh, about the middle of his nose, and it's got a um, about a half inch sticking out at the top of his bridge of his nose. Oh. So I don't think he could ever butt heads with another one because yeah. if he did, it would just uh, he really had, he had bigger problem. problems to yeah. worry about. Exactly, Jeez. and some of them they uh, I'm sure it compromises their vision and uh, the way they're designed. And if they happen to have both horns like that, uh, there's one actually a stone sheep shot came out I think and. Wild Sheep Foundation magazine, and these is really nice ram, but the horns came out to the front, and they're broomed off about uh, right in front of its eyes, and he, he couldn't even see it out the top. He had to kind of look down, you know, maybe raise his head to, wow. to see ahead. So it was a neat ram. It was a, a, a dandy. Yeah, and it'd be interesting to know, like, how many are like that compared to how many reach maturity, because you know, it, it right. sets them up to get eaten, basically, is what it does. I'm sure they, uh, you know, because of their sight and stuff like that, predators get them easier. Yeah. And uh, I don't know how many hunters take them. Sometimes if they're odd, uh, a lot of guys probably wouldn't want them. But yeah. some of them are so neat. Uh, well, that's the thing, you know, like I've, man, I don't know. I've heard it more from peop- people that uh, over the years that are, you know, it's like get a one one sheep hunt type right. of thing. You know, not liking broomed sheep, man. I mean, I don't know. I like all of them. I, I like, yeah. you know, double broomed, one side broomed, the other side broomed. Well, <laughs> a couple of my biggest sheep has one side broomed, and they're, they, they're, they're uneven. Of course, you can't mm-hmm. pass it up if they yeah. – or if they're well over 40 and 15-inch bases, it's, you know, it's a great ram. Yeah. But it's nice to have them symmetrical if you can. Uh, and I like I liked, uh, old rams that are broomed off on both sides. They're, they're mm-hmm. uh, probably one of the best rams in the book. There is uh, a score. It's, they're under 38 inches on both sides, really symmetrical. looks like a small bighorn, but uh, it's 13 and 7 eighths on the base, and it's 10 and 3 eighths on the third measurement. Jeez. It only lost an eighth on the second measurement, and that ram scored 174, came out of the Brooks range, and it looks like a miniature bighorn. I mean, it's just um, – it's like, yeah, it's, like, it's a really a tough looking ram. I mean, it's just massive. It, the end of a baseball bat that you hold. Yeah, that's the the way the ends looked on the thing where it's broomed off. It was seventeen years old. I mean, it, jeez. Anytime the oldest one I've ever shot was thirteen and a half. Mm-hmm. And uh, but anything that gets up, you know, in the Brooks Range, a lot of times they they get older because of the drier climate and uh, stuff. But anyway, uh, you know, a fifteen year old ram. That's uh, no matter what size it is and broomed off. That's a real trophy. Oh yeah. You know, and even, well, this one is kind of on a, compared to that one's mm-hmm. obviously a miniature scale of that, but, you know, all by himself, he look just how he carries, he's not, not a big ram, but he, how he carries that mm-hmm. looks really impressive. Sure, it does. And a lot of times there, when they're broomed off like that, it tend to be a heavier horned animal. And uh, I guess you could say they're not sissies because they've done a lot of battling, you know. Yeah. And, you know, I want, what do you think? Do you think, because I've heard it's, 
I've heard a lot of them broom because or the theories because it gets it bugs them in their vision. Yeah, I've heard I don't think fighting. So. I, yeah. I, you think it's mostly well, fighting? Well, I don't think they have the ability to think that that uh, reason that that horns in my way, I'm going to broom it off. I don't. Yeah. Uh, and they don't. And when they're on the ground, you never. I never seen one rubbing their horn. I've seen a couple of have them you? doing it, but so I've uh, what I've uh, you know. Of course, in the wintertime, they're digging with their feet. Yeah. Uh, you know, to get the stuff. Up. They might go with their horn a little bit. I don't know, but I. Uh, uh, you know, I think it's they're busted off because a lot of times you'll see them where they're shattered and stuff. Yeah. So the style of the horn, like that course, one, <laughs> yeah, and, and yeah, if a horn comes in tight to the face, it puts that tip out there where it's going to get catch and get busted. Yeah. yeah. So if a ram lives twelve years and he's a big ram and he does a lot of uh, breeding and stuff and so busting heads and stuff, chances of uh, that tip getting broken are pretty good. You know, eventually. Yeah. And uh, this one, we actually was were watching him the night or the the afternoon before I went up and killed him, uh, watching him beating up on all, you know, mm-hmm. sparring with all his buddies up there. Right. So, you know, and of course, in a lot of times, like the uh, one over there, it's it's uh, probably busted and it, had, it was probably had some sharp edges to begin with. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, where they live and around the rocks and stuff like that. And when they're eating, those horns down there probably do rub on the rocks or something like yeah. that. kind of, uh, kind of smooth them off you know mm-hmm. but uh yeah it's i've always wondered wondered that you know whether I, it's but you know yeah. i i guess i kind of always figured it was a little bit of both some of them get busted fighting some of them because i have seen them before there's one i got in the house that it's yeah i wouldn't call it broomed he's got most of his lamb tip mm-hmm. rubbed off but i saw him just oh. raking that thing on a rock huh. it was really interesting no, he doesn't care how long it nope. is. <laughs> well, stop it! Stop it! Right. But yeah, it's I don't know. I can most most sheep hunters I know kind of have can appreciate. I think every right. style. Yeah. I mean, every one's unique, and right. unless you're just chasing numbers, right? And another thing, I think uh, you know, I've done some reading. Uh, you know, animals seem to be dominant, like people. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you're right horn, right hand dominant, or whatever, when they're up there and they're button heads, they don't hit straight on. Yeah, they, they turn crank their head a little bit, and so when they turn like that, uh, an animal that's right dominant probably is going to turn the same way all the time. Mm-hmm. And if the other one's the same way, they you know, uh, but so that predisposes one horn because I. You know, if you start uh, just right dominance is, is for most people, like people, mm-hmm. I'm assuming maybe it's the same for uh, wild animals. So if you look at where the, which horn are they broomed on the most? And so you, my theory is, is just a theory, I don't can't prove it at all, but uh, is that certain horns are broomed more than others. I, I can't remember exactly in a book I, when I was studying that and looked at the number of horns, one horn is broomed more than the other. Yeah, and so that I think that makes him a right dominant uh, ram. Yeah, that um, makes sense. I mean, total makes total sense how they're turning their head because they do when they roll in there, they crank right. it to one side or the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I guess I. It's never... amazing that they actually were able to uh, rear up on their legs and come down and hit hit that uh, accurate. You know. Oh yeah, and I'm sure it, uh, at times they don't hit that accurate, and it, that's where some of these horns get busted. Yeah. And I saw my wife and I was watching some in 1973, I think it was, when we first got back up here, 74, and could hunt again. We went up, and there was nine rams out on a shale thing, and we watched them butt heads uh, all day long. It was raining like crazy. And, and uh, it seemed like uh, when one pair would go, then another pair over here, they'd go at the same time, and kind of activated them. And they did that all day long. But one, I saw, I was watching them through the spotting scope, and 
these two, the bigger one was over here, and these two rams butted heads, and as soon as they recoiled back, this big ram, he smacked one behind the ear and knocked him out. I oh, mean, wow. It was like, you know, he was a cheap shot. Yeah. But he dropped him. I mean, he went out of the sight. I couldn't see him. And all of a sudden, he got up, and he just kind of, you know, like stiff there. And, and then he, he just kind of shook his head, and then he went on to feeding like no one. Well, uh, yeah, the one uh, a couple of years ago we watched, we were 300 yards above these these rams. We were walking this ridge, top of this ridge line, and they were down in this bowl and sat there watching them. And uh, there was five of them in the yeah, the biggest one. He was, you know, he was a legal ram, but uh, decided not to shoot him. And so we're just sitting there watching them. And there was one, one that was kind of being cantankerous. He'd go and he'd he'd start hooking that lead ram and messing. And the lead ram just didn't want anything. You know, he was right. pretty secure in where where right. he was at apparently. Because then then you know the other ram started and two of them had butt heads and there was always one, the two of them had butt heads and one had run up behind and hit the other one right in the ass, mm. <laughs> yeah. you know, and then they, he'd flip around, but that, that one would never, he'd just be the kind of the, a cheap shot. One. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's incredible really. You know, they'll, they'll get back 10 yards apart and rear up and boom. And well, maybe not that far apart, but they'll, they don't, yeah. it doesn't seem like they get totally a real good. run and start, but they'll mm-hmm. rear up and run on their back legs and then drop down. And know. then if they, you know, when they don't quite connect perfectly, one will go shooting down along the ground. <laughs> right. Well, Joe Romero was, uh, over in, uh, with a friend that was over in uh, Mongolia. I think it was, and they were, uh, his buddy was after, uh, uh, I think it was, well, I can't remember if it was, um, over salmon, salmon or what, but anyway, uh, they s- saw an animal that had both legs broken. And uh, wow. uh, so I guess, you know, of course, they had those big, heavy horns. And mm-hmm. so when they're hitting, one slipped underneath the other and broke both front legs oh. on that, on that uh, sheep. Man, that's incredible. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't surprise me, though, the amount of force right. they're generating, you know, a sheep sheep's leg bones are not that, not that sturdy, you know. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And they're longer-legged animal anyway. and. <laughs> So they went on and hunted. When they came back, they ended up shooting the sheep just to put it out. Yeah. His, you know, it wasn't going to go anywhere. So yeah, they put him out of his misery. But yeah, they uh, well, you know, all the force that they generate uh, there, and it's got to, you know, it'd be kind of interesting. Uh, you know, I know my back. Uh, I had back surgery seven months ago because over all the years of coaching and, and packing out heavy loads, mm-hmm. uh, L two, three, four, and five, they put a spacer in there so the nerves coming out uh, weren't getting pinched. Yeah. And so uh, it's, it's coming along really good. Uh, but, you know, sheep butting heads like that, if you took a ram that had done that for 12 years and you had his skeleton out there and, you, and then you have another ram that's maybe like uh, seven or eight years old that uh, is mature but hasn't butted so much, I bet you could tell the difference in the uh, spacing in their vertebrae. Yeah, that stuff, would be know? interesting to look at. I'm sure they're like us. and They get old like that. I've seen them kind of hobbling around a little bit, kind of arthritic and uh, – and aren't moving as fast as a younger guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's uh well, and there's sometimes, you know, I've seen a few groups of rams where a younger, you could tell a younger ram would kind of taken over, you know, wasn't, wasn't quite as impressive as, mm-hmm. you know, you could tell one that's significantly older should be the lead ram, but he wasn't, didn't yeah. appear to be running the show. Mm-hmm. Right. But, yeah. That's uh just go all day, all day long. There's so many. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I find everything fascinating about it. It is. You know? They got a tough life. You know, if they live 12 years in the environment there and they have survived those winters and uh, 
predators and hunters and uh, it's yeah you think it you know when you're up there and opening opening day in august and you see them you know relaxed on the green hillsides it looks like they got a pretty good life but oh boy it's yeah and then if you can just imagine the winter time at 60 below in some of these places like a chitna there you know of course it's dry but and uh and deep snow i found places in there where the they get down uh, in the trees and uh, some spruce trees down mm-hmm. in the brush and so on not and the and the doo-doo's deep in there i mean it's six inches deep they you know they've been there for hundreds of years going yeah. down in there and uh, when the weather gets bad like that there's uh, they can't d- find any food they i think they just keg up under those those places eat snow for moisture and uh, and just uh, and if a wolf happened to come by they're going to be in Toast, problem yeah but if they don't, you know, it's uh, it's a matter of survival, and uh, you know, it's kind of waiting for better better times. You know. Yep, yep. I think it's uh, nothing. You know, they get a, they probably get a couple quote unquote easy months <laughs> right. out of the year. The rest of the time, they're just trying to put on weight and right. not be eaten. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. For sure. But yeah, and uh, I don't know where I was going to go with that. Were <laughs> you going to say something? No. I was, uh, Kind of comes with dead end myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, I really appreciate you stopping by. We probably ought to actually wrap this up so okay. you can get to Sportsman's in time to sign to do some more book signing. Okay. Yeah, it's um, had a really great reception up here from uh, Fairbanks people. Actually, probably better than any place I've been. Nice. And there are uh, definitely a lot of sheep hunters in this town. <laughs> yeah. And uh, front or the uh, the news miner there did a really nice article. Yeah, I saw it come up. I haven't got a chance to read it yet, but I'll. Go look at that, but yeah, it's been been great to link up with you, and I'm sure we'll we'll have to stay in touch. Yeah, now same that. here. You know, I uh, a lot of young guys they say, "Well, boy, I wish I'd." In fact, it's I think every hunter always thinks they should have lived ten years earlier. You know, yeah. I got up here in '68, and that's seven years after the Swank Ram was taken. Yep. And boy, I would have liked to have been up here about uh, the late '50s. Yeah. Of course, now if I was, I would be 84 or more. Yeah. <laughs> you know, now so. And I, and one of the jokes in the book, I uh, because of that, and, and talking to a lot of hunters and some some of the guys, uh, Chuck Gray was up here and and started flying and was hunting in the Chitin area there in in the late forties, mm-hmm. and uh, and then of course then he started dropping in some hunters in there and he thought it was getting crowded so he moved over to the Alaska Range, and uh, was hunting there and then they started dropping in some military guys and he thought that was getting crowded so he yeah. moved up to the Brooks Range and. I think it was on the Chandelar River there, and he ended up having uh, some cabins built, and he finished his guiding and stuff up there. Mm-hmm. So it's all relative. And so I got these yeah. two cavemen in a, uh, and they're they're talking, sitting there talking. They got a big stack of all you know Boone and Crockett horns in the back there, and and over their cave door going out, it uh, is a really big one. And and they said, hey, Og, you know, we should have been born, you know, back in the Ice Age when yeah. we're all big. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I guess you just gotta, despite you know how how. How good it must have been back in the back in the golden days. It's still pretty dang good, you know. We got right. a lot of a yeah. lot of really neat opportunities, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, yeah is uh, I was going to ask you too. Are your books still available? Or they are. Or? Yes, I. Uh, um, uh, a lot of them are stored down in, in Salt Lake because I couldn't mm-hmm. bring them. It cost too much to bring them here. So yeah. I, go, I do go down and get a, a load and bring them up, and my daughter will ship them as well. I signed a bunch down mm-hmm. there. And so if people are ordering books uh, there, I uh, just ship her the address, and she ships, she goes, goes a lot faster. If, yeah. I, 
it doesn't matter if I send them here or if they're sent from down there, it costs the same amount. Yep. And the, the, where it's really expensive is going to, into Canada because they don't have, um, what do you call it, uh, media rate. Oh, it gotcha. It all has to go. So it's like 150 bucks uh, just to ship uh, you know, the books uh, yeah. there. And uh, so. Well, cool. Where can people order them? Well, they can. Uh, I've got an online rampages one, two, three, but it's uh, needs some work on it. But uh, easiest way is they can go there and they get my email. Okay. Uh, LC Bradley AK uh, at GCI dot net, and that's the easiest way. And then uh, I, I usually ship them a flyer on on stuff and how to order and, and a, kind of a tells all about the books and, awesome. and stuff. And or just give me a call. You know, it's either way. Yeah. But if they look up uh, Lewis Bradley or. Uh, uh, rampages one two three and that'll get them to the website and then they can find the email and whatnot and cool. contact me so yeah. yeah awesome well yeah it's certainly been a pleasure and uh like i said we'll have to stay in touch there's plenty more stories and lies to tell <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know i suppose some lies uh maybe over the years things i hope i don't embellish things i yeah. I, I don't like people that do that yeah know? but uh uh if they're good enough you don't have to you know yep and, exactly uh, but uh yeah well, hey, I appreciate you having me on. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's been in great. In fact, I got a call the other day from a guy from Salt Lake, and he just, no, he's from Mont. No, he's from Salt Lake, and he lived real close to my daughter. Mm-hmm. And so he said, now I'm assuming maybe he got it from you. He says, I just heard on a podcast about these books. And he says, I hunt around the world for sheep and his stuff. And he said, I, I got to have a set. And uh, this guy was talking, I'm, I'm assuming maybe it was you. Maybe, it may be. And, yeah, uh, I'm trying to th- think back i don't have a great memory sometimes so he said he heard on a podcast about uh about the books and so he uh emailed me or called me is what he did and so he just went over and picked up a set of books from her right there awesome but most of the time they're not going to be that close yeah (laughs) no perfect yeah so uh yeah if you're interested in them get a get a hold of lou and uh and go from there and uh if you uh Enjoy the podcast. Uh, appreciate if you leave a good leave a good review on uh, <laughs> iTunes or whatever platform you listen on, and uh, and we'll talk to you next time. Thanks, Lou. You bet. Thank you.